You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. I am your host, Rob O'Sell. I'm an architect at This.Labs. My co-host today is Tracy Lee, CEO at This.Labs. Tracy, how are you doing? Hi. Happy, uh, I guess I shouldn't say the day because like, when is this going to be published? But happy, happy something. (laughs) Happy something to each of you out there as well. (laughs) All right. Today, we're very excited to sit down and talk about MillionJS with Aiden Bai. Aiden is the creator of MillionJS and about to be studying CS at the University of Washington. Aiden, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Just happy to be on the podcast. Oh, we're happy to have you here. Now, I think we want to start at the beginning, which is the great place to start all conversations. And I think some people will be fascinated, of course, to realize that they may have heard that you created MillionJS in, in high school. And I think what was interesting is you recently had sort of tweeted about how you had gotten started um, in coding. And what I liked about it is you kind of talked about this story of kind of growing up in a suburb and, and having to find a way to get access to coding, which really resonated with me growing up in a very small town in Minnesota. And I was just telling this story to somebody else today about how I had to like go to the library and borrow books and like copy the code out of it. It was the only access I had to code education. So I'm kind of curious if you could share with people a little bit about yeah, how you got started in coding and in particular, how you kind of ended up in React world and, and open source. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, just like you said, I, I, I grew up without a computer. Um, Really? without much technology and not because I couldn't access it necessarily. It's because my parents, you know, they were immigrants in China. They, you know, very, weren't very technical, et cetera. Um, but in fifth grade, um, our school district basically had this pilot program. Like the first time in whatever, whatever so long, they gave like Chromebooks to each kid at school. Um, and so I was like fascinated, right? Like this is like the first time I get access to this magical box. And with this magical box, I played cool math games, um, which doesn't seem like the most productive use, but uh, I found it really fun. Like instead of listening, I mean, to class, it's more or... productive. Yeah, it's more productive than like you know, my little child likes to watch Wheels on the Bus right now. I wish he. I mean, he's he's not even two yet, but it'd be great if he was doing math games. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> to be fair, they say it's cool math games, but it's more like it's more like Pac-Man and like uh, like P- Papa's Pizzeria. It's like very like not, <laughs> very not but math. math. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm there just kind of just, um, I mean, from there, I, uh, sorry, lost track. No, I just okay. like, um, I, I kind of just like was kind of addicted. And then like a couple months later, the school district blocked all of our uh, like devices like you can't play games on these things you have to study you have to listen to class right um and, and so i just kind of like figure out ways to bypass the firewall and play cool math games at school and from there it just got more technical and then from there just oh my god you were doing you wanted to play source. video games yeah. yeah exactly exactly oh my gosh wait did so, like a friend introduce you to it or like did you figure it out yourself did you google it like how would you even know Exactly. Just Google. <laughs> Google's the best friend, right? But how do you even know to Google if you're like not growing up with technology? I was just, well, I mean, like 
That one's a tough uh, one to like, miss. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've always been, like, a person that asks a lot of questions. Um, like, I remember my... I, whether it was, it was, like, one of, like, my elementary school classes, like, my teacher got so fed up with me, like, she just wouldn't answer my questions anymore. So, <laughs> and math? So, no, it's just, like, we had, like, general teachers, like, um, like, a teacher, like, one teacher, and they taught, like, all the subjects. Awesome. Now, I know you had made reference in this thread to Hack Club as a, a way that you kind of uh, deepened your experience coding. Did you want to talk about a little bit what, what that is and kind of why that was so useful to you? Yeah. Um, for, 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 for the audience, uh, Hack Club is just like a, it's like a community of high school coders. Um, they, they like building stuff and generally they ship to the world. Like one of the main things they have is like a, a Slack. Um, and in this Slack, they have a ship channel. Um, so anything someone builds, you just ship it and everyone can like react and see to it. And so I found like that as one of my first places where I found a, a sort of community and like community validation. Um, at school, I never had people who could relate to me or had similar interest to in me. And so on this Slack chat, or I sat in the sounds on the Slack, <laughs> Slack, uh, you know, server, I kind of found um like my home away from home i was able to mm -hmm. uh express myself i was able to get feedback i was able to talk to people um and not feel like i had to translate like technical jargon to uh normal english yeah how'd your parents feel about it the whole time were they like what is this machine my son is stuck on no exactly uh, yeah <laughs> they were like um yeah they're pretty they were initially pretty anti tech they were like why are you doing this you should be uh, studying psat in middle school or, <laughs> or something like that mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. um but i think they they've come around since then yeah yeah well i love too that million js is not even the first library that you shipped and maybe not even the first major one that you shipped so i was when i was kind of doing some research on this i noticed that Million.js was one of your international science and engineering fair sort of projects or thesis <laughs> pieces. I don't know what they're called, papers, presentations. But you had done one the year prior on uh, on a on a tool called Lucia.js. So I guess, can you kind of explain, first of all, how you are releasing a reasonably sized utility library every year and kind of uh, this process of, of kind of setting up and, and conceptualizing one of these projects and then running it through to the conclusion? Yeah, uh, with with Lucia, it was definitely a frustration with uh, like technology of tooling. Like if you're on a Chromebook, like you can imagine even basic things like that. Back then we didn't have like RepLit or, I mean, we maybe did, but it wasn't like in a very good capacity or code sandbox was complete garbage. Um, so like I couldn't get clone onto my Chromebook. Like it's so it was annoying. Like, I was just right? gonna ask that, like how on earth did you learn how to code on a, on a Chromebook? Yeah, with, exactly, yes. yeah. I actually use this website called glitch.com at the time. They can like run service. I think it's pretty much dead now, but um, maybe it's alive. But like the frustration came from like, okay, why is it so hard to set up uh, like like a JavaScript front end project? Um, and like I couldn't use React because it had JSX and I had a build step and I didn't know how to build things. And so I was like, okay, what if I just made my own? <laughs> like, what if I had this really cool syntax and I could do all these cool, really cool things in this website, but also not have a build step? Um, so that just became my project. I, I The focus shifted from more like um, 
being not being able to have a build step to more of a like um more of like performance like what if we can have very like non-complex tooling and also get really good performance uh, frankly i failed at that it was really hard uh it's a really hard trade-off to make but um yeah that's how i kind of got started awesome so then what what that sort of evolves into million jest now i have to assume that there's a through line here because i know that mm -hmm. you've sort of stated that you have this fascination with sort of HCI, right? There's like human computer interface learning and performance and web performance. So I have to assume that this is a, there's a through line that connects these things. So how do mm -hmm. you pivot from sort of Lucia and then the things that you do in between and then start working on million JS? Like what was, what was that light bulb moment where you're like, you know what, this is the thing mm -hmm. that needs my attention. Yeah. I mean, Part of it was because I, I thought it was interesting. <laughs> like, frankly, I was like, I'm, I'm bored of HTML, time to move on to the next thing. But uh, another thing is, um, at the time my grandma had like a 2015 iPad. And what was really like frustrating was when I sent her like whatever websites I created or like, I don't know, just the basic YouTube video, it just like would take 20 seconds to load. Um, and I kind of realized like, Performance isn't really a thing that us developers really think about, right? It's just like, maybe we think about, oh, it's faster and then we never use it. But we, performance is fundamentally an accessibility issue, right? Um, if websites can't load well for my grandma's 2015 iPad, just think about the you know millions of people around the world who have a $100 Android. Um, and so if these websites fundamentally aren't fast enough, then they're not accessible either. Oh, you say that so nicely. Alex Russell is clapping his hand right now. Because he says, stop thinking about people in India, the people not being able to access stuff. It's everyone, like your grandma, like anybody with a $100 phone, for sure. I Exactly. I'm honestly amazed the degree to which um, younger kids will just accept this world as a given. So like my son has for traveling this very sort of low power, cheap, Android, or excuse me, Amazon Fire tablet thing for kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's fine for the things he needs it to do, but like for some things, it's incredibly underpowered, especially for certain types of games that are meant to be run on iPads and things like that. And so like sometimes he'll play these games and I'm looking over his shoulder and I'm like, how are you not pulling your hair out? And it's like, for him, it's all he's ever known. And like that was a powerful yeah. realization for me that for a lot of us, for a lot of people that don't have powerful devices, this is just the entire internet as they've ever been presented. This is just the world they've chosen to accept. And it's like, wow, like how much more happy would you be if you could experience something faster? It, it's it's pretty wild. Right. And then there's people that do something about it and there's people that don't. <laughs> Enter Aiden, <laughs> decided to do something about it. Well, so that is interesting, though, because like where you chose to get involved with Million.js was in the, the VDOM, the virtual DOM, mm -hmm. which, you know, obviously you have Svelte out there that chose to compile everything. Um, mm -hmm. And to some sense, you're kind of compiling this portion or at least isolating this portion. So why was this the portion that you chose to sort of attack uh, with 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 your solution like what why why was this the one that caught your eye um it's it was the most accessible at the time um there were a bunch of tutorials online about virtual dom mm. um but there are two other main reasons that it's really effective uh, number one it's react is 
one of the top frameworks used in the world, right? And so React, if React uses a virtual DOM, then you have really high impact. Um, and number two, virtual DOM is has a lot of room for improvement. And so some sort of major optimization can, you know, actually make an impact on applications. Um, and like, for example, I, I, when I was coding on my Chromebook, like, as you said, the kind of like, um, like whenever I would type, it would take it like a second to actually like register inside the, the window or whatever. And so I, I really feel like I've kind of felt that, right? And like, the thing is, you know, the virtual DOM is everywhere. Um, it's really slow sometimes, especially in low-end devices. Um, and also it's pretty easy to build in a weekend. Pretty easy to build in a weekend. Understandable. <laughs> no, it took me four months, but for some experience in the year, probably. <laughs> yeah, somewhere out there, Jason Miller now. You do, you do it like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like 10 times. And then, of course, do it with your eyes closed. It's no I like, problem. Yeah, I like how Jason Miller was in this a continual competition over a court with only him competing of trying to get uh, a, like a VDOM implementation to yes. fit inside of a single tweet. And I was like, sir, you are one of a kind. <laughs> <laughs> um. So what what ended up being your solution? I guess I guess now we're kind of into the core sale point of Million JS. You know what? Okay, you have this virtual DOM. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and maybe we haven't fully defined that term for people, but I guess we can understand it to be you know a lot of these single page application frameworks at the time, Angular, React, maybe being mm -hmm. the, the the biggest of which, you know, decided to keep kind of a representation of the physical DOM in their own memory and then mm -hmm. do operations on that because the DOM at the time and maybe still to this date in some ways, was very slow to operate on. So people kind of kept a copy of it and then, mm -hmm. and then, and then reconciled that with the real DOM. Um, now, some current frameworks have gone away from the virtual DOM, DOM concept entirely, and some are sticking with it and trying to improve it in speed. So what was your solution? What does is, what is Million.js try to do now with React's usage of the virtual DOM that makes things so fast? Yeah, um, we utilize a, a thing called a block virtual DOM, um, which is an issue. I, I didn't invent this thing. I just kind of re-implemented it in my thing. Um, in, in 2021, I believe, or 2020, uh, a library called block DOM came out. Um, and this library presented an interesting approach to the, to the virtual DOM. Essentially, um, originally, we, we, we treat the virtual DOM as kind of a template, right? And so how it works is you have like, Imagine the virtual DOM is a blueprint and you have two blueprints, the blueprint of the current building or the current app, and then the blueprint of the app you want to create. And so you have to demolish some parts, you have to add some parts. Um, and so this is this process of comparing the two blueprints is really expensive. Um, and that's why a lot of the bottlenecks come up. I mean, think about it. You have to like specifically analyze every part of the building, like it's for every single render you do. And this happens a lot sometimes. Um, and so that's really bad. Um, block virtual DOM is like this. Okay, what if we took the building and we know which parts we're going to renovate or know what parts we're going to change? In, in this case, in an application, you could have like a counter button. Like every time you click a button, the count goes up. You know that there's only one place that's going to change, the text, right? The little number that says goes up. And so we say, okay, we know that part is dynamic. That's all we're going to check. So every single render, it only checks if the number has changed. Um, and this can scale to beyond just, you know, counter. It could scale to like a to-do list or um, like a stock trading app or whatever. Um, 
if we're able to detect where the dynamic parts are, we can skip whatever is static and we can reduce a lot of work along the way. That's really interesting because I don't know if it's the same underlying tech or approach, but I feel like what you, how you're describing it is very similar to some of the things you've heard from the Svelte team or the Solid team or um, some of the discourse around signals, that this is kind of in the, that vein of trying to uh, stop treating all parts of everything as if they're the same, really focus in on the things which are dynamic and, and, and isolate that. Like, it, it, as far as you're aware of the conversations that you've had, are, is, is Million in the vein, in the spirit of some of those other approaches? Or do you think that it's a, a, a sort of a novel take on a similar problem? It's actually, yeah, it's pretty similar. I think if you remove like the data model of signals and you only took like the part where it can bind data to DOM, uh -huh. um, then you're there. Basically, that is what Million is. That's really interesting. So one of the building blocks in Million is the concept of a block. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and can you explain to people what a block is? Uh, because mm -hmm. I know that like, when I was reading the documentation on it, um, I think a lot of people now are talking about islands they've heard of and like micro mm -hmm. front ends. And, and, and I'm, I'm just curious if blocks are a wholly separate concept from that or whether this is, again, another one of these things that's in that spirit. Yeah. Um, if you're familiar with signals, it basically works as like data flows into the entire application. Uh, as particularly in solid, there is no component model internally. So you obviously author components, but like internally, it just like runs all the functions and like there's a whole blob of JSX. Um, it reruns, right? Um, million, it, you know, the block virtual DOM is only a virtual DOM is because blocks can be children of blocks. So you can organize blocks into a tree. Um, so if you imagine an original virtual DOM, it's like a tree of nodes, like a div, like an image, like a whatever. And these like things come together. But what if we organize, you know, uh, we author blocks which organize these nodes into like specific blocks. Um, and so like you can think of uh, them as like lower than a component, but higher than just nodes, like in terms of abstraction. Okay, so a component may be comprised of multiple blocks mm -hmm. if it was a sufficiently large enough component. What what what? What in best practice mode? What constitutes the bounding area of a block? Like, what is the good separation? Mm -hmm. Is it is it like a separation of a concern? Is it a, is it just um, things that change in concert with each other? Uh, is, mm -hmm. is it that kind of idea, or like, what is a best practice for how to split something into blocks? Um, right now, what we do for Million is we have like a React integration, and so for our manual mode, you can essentially just wrap any component in a block. So at this point, it's just uh, the, 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 the boundary is your component. Okay. And then you've, you've, you've released the automatic mode now. Like what, how mm -hmm. does that determine where to make these cuts? I thought that was fascinating. Like, where is it, how is it determining where, where to make these differences? Or is it also doing it on component boundaries, just whichever components it finds? Yeah. So it just analyzes each component and then it says like, okay, is this component worth optimizing? If it reaches a certain threshold and it's like, okay, this is good. Then it just does that, you know, black, block, oh, sorry, block wrapper, <laughs> block wrapper around the components. That's really cool. And honestly, what I love to, and maybe this is part of your sort of HCI interest, is sometimes there are things that we do in tooling 
that doesn't necessarily have a practical effect, but it goes to that almost like placebo thing as a user that you love to watch things work. And so mm -hmm. I, I, I love this idea that when it runs in the automatic mode and you get the compiler and it's like, found this component, made it faster, found this component, made it faster. Just that, that burst of just endorphins as you're just watching this tool work. Mm -hmm. Like it could have just said, I finished, I converted a hundred things. Congratulations. Have fun. But like, it just really tells you like, found this, it's faster, found this, it's faster. I just love that as a demo. It makes such a sharp demo, like a very compelling reason for people to install. I don't know if you intentionally called it out that way for that reason, but uh, it certainly was the effect. Yeah, I was considering not shipping it because and it, at its core, it's an estimation. So it's like not necessarily accurate. It doesn't translate necessarily to, um, we have a, like a disclaimer too, but like, um, but I think, yeah, I agree. I think tools should be fun. Also, it should be responsive um, to what you do. Awesome. So what does the compiler do? I mean, obviously you're mm -hmm. saying it basically puts these block wrappers around it, but is it doing any actual code modifications, like a Babel transform? Like, is it is it actually mm -hmm. modifying code? And kind of in what ways would people understand how it's modifying that code? Yeah. Um... It's a Babel transform. It basically, um, it basically converts the component into something that the million runtime can run. Um, the million runtime is pretty restrictive. Um, we the reason why is partly because it needs to be very small and also it needs to be very fast. And so, like we have certain restrictions, like you can't use hooks, you can't use props, you can't use whatever. Um, but only inside runtime. And so the compiler enables you to write cooks, to write, you know, props or whatever um, by splitting the component into two parts. So the first part is like um, a puppeteer component. This puppeteer component contains all the hooks, the state, the whatever. Um, and also we have like the puppet component. The puppet contains all the, you know, like the JSX and stuff. And that puppet component is what becomes a block. Um, so the, you know, the JSX is all optimized and we understand what data flows in from the puppeteer component. Interesting. So do, do you think that, again, in, in a best practice world and kind of the way mm -hmm. that you see this being used optimally, do you see people learning to adapt how they write components to be more compatible with Million? Or do you think that the idea is that Million's compiler will just get more sophisticated over time? write React however you want, and, and you'll find a way to fix it? Like, is Or is it a little bit of both? Like, what is in a perfect world where you could just snap your fingers and have it, like, what is the mm -hmm. future that you kind of envision for that, that this portion of it? Oh, absolutely. Definitely um, the compiler do everything for you. Um, obviously, that's a very hard task. Um, and, you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's, it's something that I think has to be done. Um, one thing that developers, even myself, uh, don't want, like, people like performance, but they won't use your thing if it's not easy to integrate. Um, and so I don't want to be like rewriting stuff or, you know, changing my code base just for performance I can't even see, um, but maybe my users can. There's a, I forget who I was talking to. I was talking to two different people in the past few weeks and they said, you can't make something that's like, you know, incrementally better for somebody. You need to make something yes. that's like a hundred X better. Otherwise, what's the point, right? Like incremental improvements don't matter. How are we like actually changing how things are done? 
because that that's really what pushes technology forward not like oh one framework is better than the other by like whatever 10 percent, 20 percent, whatever yeah so i love that yeah yeah exactly i i totally agree um like the the prime example is like bun right like <laughs> how can you make javascript run times like a million times faster literally um yeah but i think um for incremental improvements um what i found is if you make incremental performance in performance, you have to provide some like novel authoring like uh, features. Like for example, like what I found like for Preact, um, like people use it obviously because it's fast and whatever, but like people more likely use it because of the signals. Like there's a, there's a new authoring mm. experience you can use for state. Yeah, that's really interesting, right? And kind of similar again, like, the value prop of million, it's not exactly the same, but like it, it is sort of a just right react type of approach mm -hmm. that Preact had. But I mean, there were extents to that in Preact as well. Like there yeah. were things you couldn't exactly do. I mean, they they kept that space pretty narrow, but React gave you the universe to do whatever you wanted with. And so Preact mm -hmm. said, I will give you a subset of that universe. It's a pretty broad subset, but it's still a subset. And like, I get that sense that that's the idea here. And, and I think in the documentation for million, you say this as well. You're like, hey, you can do whatever you want. What we're gonna be able to help you do gets more limited as mm -hmm. you start getting wilder and wilder and you stray from what, what you kind of call the rules of blocks. Um, mm -hmm. So like, I know you called this concept, which I love progressive degradation. Do you wanna kind of touch on what that means insofar as a uh, million? Yeah, I think Fireship made a video on this and it was like, he said like, the best analogy of this is like, if you have like a bodybuilder on steroids, like if you start running out of steroids or in this case, like um, in this case, you know, you use something crazy, it just like progressively, the muscles progressively just disappear. <laughs> and so <laughs> basically that, well, I mean, like we still have certain restrictions, like um, if you have like a conditional return and so uh, like like a early return on your component that's like a non-deterministic return like you have different jsx for different cases um and so that's like one thing we don't support yet um we also don't support or we we do support it it's just like it just becomes degraded right it just becomes a normal component after that and so um i can't think of anything else we've actually passed a lot of these um but point is um the the idea is like what if we can figure out what components are worthy of being enhanced in your um, application. And then like from there, we determine whether it's should be degraded or not. Okay, but better idea is, well, I guess it's just doing it for you, right? Which mm -hmm. is kind of nice, but that, I think that's what people need. Like it's, it's interesting that, you know, like, you know, for example, you talk to Quick, right? And, you know, the mm -hmm. whole idea is, okay, you don't have to think about it. It's just built in right? Like it's performance mm -hmm. first. And, you know, for, I mean, Rob and I for, for many years now <laughs> have been thinking, okay, when is performance gonna, you know, start popping off, but, you know, having the conversations with business or stakeholders about why performance matters, even though you can say, Hey, there's a 40% drop in revenue people like for some reason it right. still doesn't click for some reason and it's like oh should we put performance as part of our sprint and it you know again with accessibility or testing it just kind of gets lumped into that mm -hmm. but i think uh you know easing the pain of developers having to actually talk about it and just saying 
well, this is how it should be. And the tool does it for you, um, is, you know, is really empowering and like probably the way it should go. But then it's also kind of funny because then no, like the performance conversation never gets to the forefront. It's just that, Hey, here's all the tools that you have to use because performance matters. Yes. You know? So, I mean, that's better anyways, I suppose, but you know, then what happens to all the conferences? I guess it's like fine, but I don't know. Is Alex Russell clapping? Like, yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, In one episode. (laughs) I know. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, the, the thing is, like, um, a lot of these frameworks, including Million, kind of focus on, like, one aspect of performance. I mean, re- but in reality, it's, like, everything. And that's why it's so hard, right? Like, it, everything from, like, data fetching to, to loading images to, you know, just, you know, DOM manipulation to whatever. It's just, like, there's so many problems, and they're so difficult to solve, or, like, very non-obvious problems, you know, and that's why they never get solved. All right. Well, we're going to jump right back into this conversation, but first we're going to have a brief word from our sponsor uh, today's This.Labs. This.Labs is a development consultancy that specializes in application development and upgrading legacy systems. They've been trusted by companies like PlayStation, Capital One, Herman Miller, PayPal, and T-Mobile. Facing challenges with legacy systems and need to modernize, This.Labs has experience in enterprise migrations and upgrades, providing a detailed roadmap for modernizing your software solutions. Their engineering leaders are industry veterans with a deep understanding of modern technologies and best practices. Learn more about how this.labs can help you achieve your tech goals at this.co. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O. All right, now let's get back to the show. Now, Aiden, one of the things that I think is interesting about Million Janus, more about you as well, is this, again, you have this passion for sort of HCI, these computer interfaces. And one of the things I'm curious about now in our conversation is when people go to like debug their applications after Million is working on them, and you know maybe they're using like the, the React tooling or you know whatever else that is, have you given any thought into how that presents in those tools? Like do you, like when the compiler operates, mm. does it just name it their component name block? Or like, you know what I mean? Because sometimes when you watch tools that operate and try to change like your CSS or your HTML, and then you get it out and it's like, oh, oh, that's right. My component X1GK underscore 3256. And you're like, oh, I know which one that is, right? Like, is this a conscious uh, consideration of yours when you're kind of considering what the compiler will do? Yeah, yeah. Um, We have some issues in V, but it just basically masquerades itself as a, the original component. So if you name your original component like header, it will just like, present itself as header. Um, obviously we do have like a lot of dev tools, things we can work on. Like um, for example, I mean, just like a dev tools, right? Just like being able to inspect certain components, see how blocks run, how much they're optimized, that sort of thing uh, needs to be improved. Um, not only that, but also kind of the in editor experience, um, kind of marking certain, like what if you could mark certain, like so visualize the components as like, optimized or something you could optimize or something like that. Um, that's also some things we can work on as well. Got it. And can Million go beyond React? Like, again, I know all things with time and funding, but is there, have you given any thoughts about like Million Angular or, you know, Million View mm-hmm. or anything else like that? Yeah. Um, 
not particularly. We do support Preact at a limited capacity. Uh, but yeah, um, it, the issue is like the other frameworks are really good. <laughs> like they have really <laughs> good people behind them and they really care about performance. Uh, I'm not saying React doesn't care about performance. It's just like, I don't necessarily agree with how they're approaching it. Um, one thing, you know, like Vue now has their own like signals. Um, Angular has their own signal system. They're all pretty fast on the benchmarks, um, much faster than React. Interesting. Okay. So not no necessarily so like, plans right now. React has bad performance is what you're saying. Yes, particularly. What have I special. ever heard that? I love it. Hot takes all over. <laughs> Alex Russell still clapping. Hasn't stopped clapping. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, it's it's like, um, you know, usually you hear like, oh, all these other frameworks are really slow, but you're kind of taking the other approach to it. But I mean, how do you decide from like a, like a vision perspective, I suppose, right? Like Rob was talking like, okay, like what's next? Are you mm -hmm. going to do a million, be a million angle or whatever? Um, what does the roadmap look like? Like, yeah, what is what is Billion JS gonna do? <laughs> no, Billion JS is a good follow on, and then Elon will obviously use it. Although, maybe Billion JS is like crappy web performance because, like, you're bloated. Billion KB, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of like, okay, what does Million look like in the next six months, the next year? Um, and my hope is I can get at least a little bit of fundraise or like funding, not from start, like raising money, but like, like Patreon just or something like that. Patreon, yeah. Yeah. Um, so at least, you know, I don't, you know, die, <laughs> like <laughs> basic survival. But my hope is I don't think this is the end game. I think that. You know, performance problems aren't just dominant fish performance. They extend from the back end to your database, to your front end. It extends everywhere, right? Um, and developers are really bad at solving performance problems, um, not because they're stupid, but they're hard. They're just really hard to solve. And so mm -hmm. I want to work on solutions that automatically optimize or automatically alert or triage or, you know, um, to to based on your stack. The issue with current systems is like we have Sentry, right? Or we have like Datadog or Prometheus where we can see like literal frilling graphs of the performance. But who the hell is act who the heck actually understands that, right? Like it's it basically impossible to understand. And so not only making that interpretable for developers, but actionable is kind of the key. Making automatic performance optimizations through your whole stack. You know, I know that Ryan was talking about, Ryan Carniato was talking about Million.js mm -hmm. recently, and, and you were kind of reacting to that reaction <laughs> piece as well. And I know whenever you have a library like Million.js, it happened with Preact as well. People are saying, mm -hmm. well, what's going to happen if React just absorbs your library or implements the best parts mm -hmm. of it or does whatever? And I think this idea of what Million's legacy is, even as it's currently growing in popularity all the time, is an interesting one. Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, to the extent to which you already have a sense of what that impact has been, like, what is your hope? Like, do you hope that Million pushes React to adopt some of these updates to the way that it does VDOM? Uh, would like, mm -hmm. is that a win? Or do you like being this differentiation that says, hey, you can do mm -hmm. it that React way, or you can have these benefits using our automatic compiler, 
or are you happy with just like getting people to ask the question and start to survey around and say, wow, I had no idea you could even do this. What else can I do? Like what, you know, what makes you the happiest when you're going to bed at night and you're thinking about the impact that you and this library have sort of had already on the community? If, if React releases something, whether it be for Git or whatever, that absorbs million, that'd be the best case scenario. <laughs> like I don't need to solve these problems anymore. Like, yes. first, like yeah, exactly. If they're able to address the, the, the performance issues, that's just like amazing. That'd be ideal. It's like a thank you. Now pay me a bounty for what I, the work I did for you. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's, you know, I think that's a difficult thing, right? Because it's like, as a, as a library author, right. You, you know, all of a sudden mm -hmm. it's like you do things for a reason. And then, you know, as you go along the path of, you know, <laughs> time, there's other reasons you could potentially do things or things that get convoluted mm -hmm. or, you know, do I do X, Y, and Z? Am I trying to grow this and that? And so it's hard to be able to say um, and, you know, decide what is the right path and what's going to be the right thing for me or for the library, uh, which, I, which yeah. is why I think like open source or even, you know, folks who get you know, venture funding for their open source projects and things like that. I mean, you know, just, uh, I mean, it, 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 it's kind of like a continuous lifestyle, life cycle of, you know, innovation, mm -hmm. right? It's like, okay, something is great and then it dies because things were not aligned and then, okay, more innovation happens and then right. that dies or does well. So I hope that, you know, it's, it's, but it's hard to make the, the right decision. Like, how do you know, you know, how do you know, mm. how do you know what the right thing is? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Venture funding is scary. Like, uh, yeah. what I realize is like, if, if I do it, then it's just like, it's not, I'm not saying there's no going back, but also like, I want to kind of see this million, the framework go through. Um, the original goal was just like, can I build a virtual DOM and not, you know, can I start a company around this and also monetize it? Like, just like, I, I like doing this engineering thing. Um, and like, yeah. for the meantime, I think it's, I think it's okay with uh, just open source and just sponsorships yeah. and grants and whatever. Yeah. Well, shout out to Jason Miller again. You can just get absorbed by Google, right? I mean, I feel like Addy <laughs> started this. He like built his own browser when he was younger and was like, well, Oh my yeah, God. I am, you know, Addie Osmani. So Tracy's auditioning really hard to be your agent. So uh, <laughs> just let her yes. know. Yes. <laughs> 50% cut. Okay. Maybe 60%, <laughs> depending on how I feel No, But I mean, you know, I think there's so many amazing people to talk to. Like, you know, Evan, Evan New is one of the people who I feel like has done, um, has done uh, <laughs> Patreon well and actually like, successfully gotten funded I feel like so many people who have tried to get funded you know it's like oh we're just like 75% of the way there and it's you know it's hard for them to to keep going when you know because you're splitting your time between two things so yeah um, I'm actually curious what's going to happen when you start college because have you not started yet like are you going in as a freshman or freshman yeah okay you're going in as a freshman yeah you're gonna be so bored <laughs> I mean <laughs> I'm serious. That's how I would like when I got into corporate, I was like, what are these people? This is crap. Where's my people? They're not here. Um, 
but I mean, I do think, um, I do think like the, uh, the fundamentals of computer science, at least from what I've seen, you know, even though I say go to mm. boot camp, do whatever, you know, whatever path you are to be successful, it, it is what it is, but it is interesting to see like the, um, the impact that a computer science degree has on your understanding of the fundamentals of, you know, web development mm -hmm. or code or what, I mean, Rob, I think you went to college for this too, right? So like, but, and you don't get that in a boot camp, right? So yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, I mean, you can be successful any which way you can be self-taught and be successful. You can be successful yeah. with a college degree, but I just think you're going to be bored, which is going to be great for you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I do think this is the new, this is the new dilemma, at least in, in development world, yeah. right? Is I, I know some people that got good careers at 16, 17, 18. They were like, okay, I don't really need the college thing. I've already got a fully functioning career in the, in the field I like. And yeah. But uh, that being said, even if I could do it over again, I would still go to college. College was great. So uh, yeah. I don't know if we have full time to unpack the college versus uh, yeah. professional experience, but it is a pretty <laughs> unique time in the development world that that's an, a, a, an avenue that's open because it wasn't that long ago that if you didn't have a degree, yeah. you couldn't get any job no matter what yeah. it was. And your parents are like, I worked so hard to <laughs> save up for your college. And this is what you do. When are you getting a real job? I could just hear Asian parents screaming in the background. No, yeah, that's exactly what they sound like. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because my mom, even through, you know, after I raised, you know, a million dollars and we had like 250 people for my first startup, like mm. working out there, she's like, when are you getting a real job? It's like, ah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Seriously, mom? Are you serious? But, you know, that's that's Asian parents for you, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. I she's calmed that. down a little bit after, you know, she... She's a little calmer now, but it took a while. <laughs> it only took 10 years. <laughs> mm, I think a little longer than that. It took like 15 years. <laughs> it's very kind of you, though, to say that. It's very yeah. kind of you to say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, chalk it up to just poor sequencing of the topics here, but I realized that there was something from my list that I didn't touch on. And anybody who's listening to this about MillionJS for the first time is wondering it which is to say, how does it play with meta frameworks? So many people are using Next or they're using Gatsby. And I realize that they're sitting here listening to this maybe in their car on a run and they're like, well, I can't use that because I don't just, who just uses CRA anymore these days? And so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, does, does Million work with those just for the benefit of the people that are listening? Yeah, with, uh, except Remix, everything except Remix um, and like probably some minor framework. Um, we also support Veep, Webpack, uh Vite webpack roll up uh es build and rs pack so whatever you need you got it here <laughs> ah, it's like you support you have, one monitor like a team of people legacy. just kidding just kidding <laughs> do you have a core team of people now that are working on this or, or is this just now a fun project for you that on the weekends you're like i'm gonna try to get this hooked into something new now yeah we got like it's kind of surprising we have like 15 people in our um team channel so like Mostly it's uh, community outreach. Um, and then we have, we have like four or five transient contributors that contribute like every so often, maybe like once every two weeks. And we have like another core contributor on the project as well. Yeah, that's really cool. Going back, I, I just recently um, talked to Evan, which is why he's coming up again. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> but you know, he's Asian and he like his adoption, like the adoption, right? We're talking about mm-hmm. like views adoption in the early stages and things like that. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, you know, one of the reasons why view was so popular in Asia and is so popular in Asia is because it's proper. And I don't know, like, your level of speaking Chinese. I couldn't do it, for example. Mm. <laughs> but like he was able to translate the documentation. It's yeah. not just like Google Translate, you know, because it's so different, right? But like translated in a way that like developers truly understood because he speaks Chinese natively and as a developer. Mm. Have you thought about any of that from like an adoption perspective? I don't, I mean, I haven't looked at the million JS docs. Like, are they in Chinese? Mm. Is there plans to do that? Yeah, for, I, I... I'm an ABC, so it's like I, I can oh, yeah, speak Chinese, but like, <laughs> like I kind of yeah. suck at it. Um, yeah. One thing I found is I've had more appeal with like more young people, um, like yeah. especially on on Twitter or Discord or whatever. Um, it's 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 easier for people to kind of almost resonate with because there's like a lot of other high schooler coders online, and so um, it's easier for people to resonate with me and mm. also resonate with the mission of Million as well. Oh, I love that. So it's like you're building for the next generation. So if people want an example of like how to appeal to, you know, not the rub types, but more <laughs> the new developers. Shots fired. What am I taking a broadside for? <laughs> then like Million Days is probably a really good example of, you know, what about the culture that you're bringing or like what about the library and how you set it up or you yeah. know, whatever you're doing in that community resonates with uh, the new generation of developers that's popping up. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly. really cool. I never thought about it that way, but I love that. I also just love this idea of, um, I don't know if indie hacker is really the right word for this, but like uh, smaller teams of developers standing up, putting out what they think is a good way to code or a good way, a good set of tooling to use, building a community and no matter what the rest of the community scoffs at and says, it just succeeds. You saw this with like uh, with Tanner with the Tan Stack stuff mm-hmm. at first, got a little pushback, and now that became like a standard. You saw it when TRPC came out a little bit, and now all of a sudden mm-hmm. that has a very fervent community that really loves that stack. Um, you know, Ryan a little bit with you know with Solid and stuff that he's doing, and now you know Million. I don't I don't know if it's his it's his, his broad a departure, but I do like this idea. Like I love this mode we're in right now where people are putting out these modifications either to coding styles or tools or tool chains and it's just getting that culture because i think there's another Mm -hmm. train of thought where people have this cynicism that everything's just being absorbed it's all being absorbed into Vercel, it's being absorbed into google it's being absorbed into Facebook, you know meta and i love this idea that we're still powerful enough as individual developers to build a community around a bunch of people that are like, you know what? I was wondering the same thing. Right. Do, do you get that sense too? Or is, is that, is that something that you're, you're happy about with million? Yeah. Totally. People really resonate with the, with the vision. Um, I think, I think that's one reason it's, it's gotten so popular on Twitter. Um, and I, yeah, it's, it's really important. Like having like something that people like rally behind or believe behind is like for, for solid, it was, um, signals or like perform just performance in general just like why is why does web the web have to be so slower like people who rally behind alex russell are like i hate react and there's something like something to rally behind is is like something super important yeah cool well in conclusion do you, do you have any place where you want to direct people on how they can find out more about million yourself 
uh, or you know get involved. You guys, do you do Discord or I mean, you mentioned Slack at the beginning. You got to mm. do a Slack server just for Million or you know where's the community at for uh, Million these days? Yeah, we're on Discord, um, Million Dev slash Chat, or you could just look at Million Discord. Um, we're also pretty active on GitHub. You can leave a star or uh, participate in issue discussions or whatever. And if you're going to leave a ticket, leave that repro. That's, that's Please. The... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> All well, right. Thank you. Yeah, that's going to be it for us today. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this Modern Web Podcast. Thank you, of course, to our guest, Aiden. As always, we say the conversation does not stop here. You can find Aiden on Twitter at Aiden Y. Bai. That's A-I-D-E-N-Y-B-A-I. You can find Twitter, uh, excuse me, Tracy on Twitter at Lady Leet. You can find me online at RoboCell. As for the podcast, you can find us online at moderndotweb.com or on Twitter at modern.web. Thank you, of course, to our sponsor, This.Labs. And This.Labs would like us to conclude by reminding you that they are trusted by top names like Meta, Google, and T-Mobile. This.Labs helps bridge the gap from business requirements to tech implementation, whether you're modernizing legacy systems, ensuring sustainable application architecture, or seeking ex expert guidance. This.Labs has the experience to help. Discover more at this.co. Again, that's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O. Thanks, Aiden, so much for being here today. And thank you, everybody. See you next time. Come on. Come on, everybody. This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot co slash labs for all of your friends and